will, turn with me to the Gospel of John. We are in chapter 13, and our verses will be 12 through 20. That is where we will find ourselves today. John chapter 13, verses 12 through 20. Here's some Bibles turning, so I want to give you all a little bit of time before we read God's word. John 13, verses 12 through 20 says this. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you who do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know who I am, who I, whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. That is the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time that you've given us. We just pray and ask that it is your word that rings true, that uh, me as your messenger um, get out of the way and allow you to do your work uh, that you see fit to do with your people every time we gather as a body. It is you who washes us in the water of the word. It's you who nourishes us, who sanctifies us, who consecrates us, who grows us in the likeness of you. It is all by your divine plan, and we are uh, the gracious and loving and merciful recipients of this wonderful work that you are doing within us. So we just pray in this time, Lord, that we trust not in ourselves, but we lean on your understanding that you make our paths straight, and uh, we just come to know you all the more greater. That way we're able to follow you in the way that you have commanded of us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, and it's for his sake. Amen. So I wanted to ask a question as we started um, to kind of help us get into the passage today, but I guess that the way the, the question is, why is it when we hear phrases like, you must obey or submit or read these instructions or follow these commands, that, that they just, it just doesn't sit well with us. When someone tells us, oh, you need to read the instructions, like, ah, I don't need to read the instructions. Or, you know, we tend to have that approach with things because, you know, we're in the United States of America, the, the land of the free, home of the brave, right? We're, we have freedom here and uh, we, we have catchphrases and cliches that we say that, you know, rules are just made to be broken, right? They weren't written for me. They're just, they're just there for, for those who don't, um, to, who don't know what they, they need to do. This kind of thought has even infiltrated the church where we will misuse scripture and we'll say things like, well, we're under we're not under law, we're under grace. Right. Where it kind of gives us this license to do and think and act in the way that we feel is right. And so the question, the real question is, why? Why is that? Why do we tend to shy away from the law or obeying or submitting to an authority? Well, I believe the answer is ever since the fall of man in the garden, 
we have wanted to be God. That's, that's what we want. We don't want to follow God. We want to be him. We want to be the ones making the rules, not the ones following them. But it's clear from our own actions, the things that we do, that we are not God. I think that's evident. We are made in the image of God, but we are not him. He is completely different from us. And, and the, the greatest example that we get of that is when God himself came to earth, dwelt among his people. He obeyed the law. He listened and followed everything that the father commanded of him. The rules he followed, he obeyed these things. He only did what the father told him to do. He was completely obedient and he was obedient to the point of death. So it's with that in mind that I want us to look at our passage and, and cover some of these topics about humility and obedience, uh, submission, sacrificial service. These are, these are marks of the Christian life. And as we live the Christian life, these things are evident uh, amongst all of us, or they should be. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and look at verses 12 through 15. I want to reread them um, before we get into it. So it says this, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. So it seems pretty clear here what we see. We need to start washing some feet, right? We're going to just bust out some bowls and basins, water, and we're going to start washing feet. I mean, that's what it says, right? It says that Jesus is telling us, wash feet. Now, we read that and it's kind of like, okay, well, why? You know, it's because it's, that's what it says. That's what the word says. But why isn't this a common practice among our church, among most churches uh, today? Well, I think it's wise for us to consider the context in which Jesus is giving this teaching, just like with everything that he says. There's times in scripture where he said, you must hate your father and mother. Is he saying that we should always hate our father and mother. No, that's not clearly what he's getting across. There's always an intent in the things that Jesus is saying. So what is he saying? Well, I think something that we should consider is the context in, in which he's given this command and, and the culture that he's within. Today, do we live in a culture where we travel by foot everywhere we're going? Or do we live in a culture where servants and slaves wash our feet uh, on a regular basis. When we have people over for dinner, is that something that's done for them when we have people over? I don't know about you, but that doesn't happen in my house, right? Not yet. What's well, not going to happen? But uh, <laughs> Don't worry if I invite you over, I ain't washing your feet. I will. I mean, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe after this sermon, I will. Um, but I think we would all agree that the answer is no, right? That, that we're not washing feet on a regular basis. So what is the example that Jesus has given us in this time? What is he actually referring to if he's talking about washing feet? You ought to do likewise. Well, I think it's fairly clear that Jesus is telling us that we are to serve one another humbly, sacrificially, uh, out of reverence for Christ. I think that's clear for us in this. And when we are called upon to serve one another in this way, just like it did for Peter when he was trying to rebuke Christ for doing this task, that service that we offer to one another may look humiliating. It may be disrespectful, in a sense, for us to stoop to that level. It may be beneath us. Or it may just be frustrating for us to take on that task. 
Now, something that I had thought about as I was thinking about these things is me and my own life, right? I, I grew up in a, in a Christian home. Um, me and my dad and my brothers we, and my cousins, the male cousins, we love to discuss things. Uh, some of y'all may call it arguing or fighting, but we discuss things, right? We just kind of verbally sparred with each other. And this was a normal practice for us. And when someone was finally deemed the champion or, or right, whichever one, you, you, whatever way you see it, uh, a lot of times it's like, go ahead and tell them, you know, you, you were right, right? You have to admit when you're wrong. Uh, so that was kind of a normal thing in our house. Uh, but along with that, there was times where just uh, the way that we spoke, right, the way that we, we talked to each other, we were fine with the abrasive language, but that type of language would, would offend other people, right? So you may do something or say something, and people would get offended by it. Then it would get back to my dad, and then he's like, hey, uh, you need to go apologize for the things you said. And for me, I'd be like, I didn't say anything wrong. They just, they took it poorly. That's, I, I can't, I can't uh, help that they are thin-skinned or whatever, and I, I don't want to do it. But he's like, well, son, sometimes you just got to do things that you don't want to do. Whether they feel right or not, you just got to do them, right? So the, the principle, right, the point of me telling this story is there's going to be times that we got to do things that we don't feel like we need to do. They don't, they don't make us feel good. They, don't, they, they're, they seem to be beneath us. Uh, it may even pain us in our heart to do them. But the question that I ask you is when Jesus took on the cross, when he was beaten, mocked, scorned, abused, betrayed, did he feel like doing it? Did it feel good for him to be whipped, to have his, the flesh out of his back ripped out, for him to carry this cross to his own death? Was that something that felt good to him? I think we all know the answer to that, that it wasn't the feeling that took him to the cross. It was obedience. Hebrews 12, 2 says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Another way that this is said in scripture by Paul, speaking of Christ and, and the father, how we are granted this salvation that's found in him alone is in 2 Corinthians 5 when he says for our sake he the father made him the son to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God thank you Lord is right that is this is what God has done for us in Christ Jesus so if the one who has saved me is the one who is sanctifying me and it is him who has set the example on how I am to serve. I must do it. I am compelled to follow his example. Amen? So I ask you, in your home, right, when you think about what Christ has done for you, are you following Christ's example in your home? What does that look like for you? Is it you washing dishes, you know, mopping the floors, doing laundry? Um, is it you not having the last word in arguments? Is it you saying you're sorry? Is it you taking out the trash, cutting the grass? What is it? What does it look like for you to wash feet in your home? If we are not imitating Christ in our home, we are not following his example. Listen to how scripture describes serving one another. 
I want to give you a couple of examples of that, just, just a few. <clears throat> There's many more of these. Uh, John 13, 34, love one another just as I have loved you. Romans 12, 10, outdo one another in showing honor. Romans 12, 16, never be wise in your own sight. Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Colossians 3, 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. James 5, 16, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. And here's the, the kicker for me. 1 Peter 4, 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, these are but a few examples of how to humbly serve one another out of reverence for Christ. These are just some hand-selected ones for us. They're all over, New Testament, Old Testament. Now, if, I'm, you know, if it's confession time and I'm being open and honest, I've already done it once, I feel like I've got to do it again, right? We're family here. I can, I can do this. Um, you know, there, there's times in my, in my own home, this is just for clarification, right, where I am serving my family by washing dishes, uh, cutting grass, cleaning up around the house, and I am completely disengaged from the family. I've got my headphones in. I'm listening to a book, a sermon. But it's Christian, right? It's Christian stuff. Uh, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to serve and, and listen and do all this and that. But I am completely disengaged from the family. I am unavailable to them during those times. But in my mind, I'm serving, right? I'm serving. I'm serving the family. But to my wife, to my kids, who, daddy, daddy, or Devin's like, Hey, uh, can you take this out of the fridge for like, I can't hear it, right? I am completely disengaged in those moments. And it's been brought to my attention, so I've repented. I, I don't do it anymore for the most part. Um, but yeah, in, in my life, that's something that I've done where it, I'm, it's, it's cloaked in righteous deeds and it is filthy. It is selfish and I'm just taking in as much as I can of my own time for my own sake. That does not glorify Christ. So I ask you, do you understand what he has done for you? You too call Jesus teacher and Lord, and you are right to do so. But he has given you an example that you should also follow, just as he has done for you. Now this tells us that we should serve humbly, obediently, sacrificially, uh, because of what God has done for us. Just a couple of weeks ago, Pastor talked about the washing of the feet and how this consecrated his people. Right, this set them apart. It didn't set them above, it set them apart. As we grow in our likeness of Christ, as we grow in holiness, we are not being set above anybody. We are not holier than thou. We are being further set apart from the ways of this world. We're not being set apart from another Christian. Right? That should draw us closer to the body as we are further separated from the world. That's holiness. That's what holiness does. It causes us to love God and to love his people all the better. But in saying that, as we know these things in God's word, we are not only to be hearers of God's word, but we are to be doers of his word as well. And we see that command that's given and the blessing that's given with it, excuse me, in verses 16 and 17. Let me reread those verses for us. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, Blessed are you if you do them. Blessed are you if you do them. 
This word blessed is the it comes from the Greek word makarios, which means supreme blessedness or supreme happiness. It's this joy unspeakable. It's this state of being that far exceeds mere emotion for us. It is a gift of God is what it is. It is a supernatural work within the life of the believer. It is a gift of God. And for us to truly be happy in this life, for us to truly be blessed and happy, is to walk in obedience to what God has commanded of us, following his example. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. For good works which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, that we should obey what he has commanded of us to do. Listen to the way that the psalmist put this in the very first psalm, Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight, his pleasure, his joy, the things that make him who he is, who beats, makes his heart beat, that delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. So what that tells us, along with what we've already read, blessedness is in the forsaking of the wicked's counsel, the worldly ways. It's in forsaking the sinner's way, the scoffer's seat, and delighting and meditating on the law of God day and night. As I mentioned earlier, we are set apart, right? We have been consecrated for good works. God has purchased us with his blood, and he has set us apart for good works. This is this holiness that we have. We grow in it. This is sanctification. Uh, this is the pursuit. What, what this should look like, it should be a pursuit in ourselves, a desire within us to take all aspects of our life and redeem them to the glory of God. Our minds should be constantly on that. That's us meditating on the law of God day and night, delighting in his word, taking joy in being in his presence because it's in his presence is uh, joy is found, uh, the fullness of joy is found in the presence of the Lord. Now, one of the things that came to mind as I was thinking on this and thinking about sanctifying my life, asking God to examine my heart and to show me my way so that I don't sin against him, one of the things that kind of came about in my thought was uh, in Isaiah 6 when um, Isaiah has the vision of, of God and and. The angels, right, the, these angels are singing in heaven, and they're, they're doing it now. They're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Right? They're singing his praises like this, and they can't get enough of it. They can't get enough of worshiping God. I find that fascinating. I, I don't know if I didn't describe this well enough, but this is a beautiful thing. This picture that Isaiah saw brought him to his knees, right? Seeing the angels praising God day in and day out. That's, that will be us with him in heaven. When we see him in his fullness, the infinite God, immeasurable in grace and mercy and love, when we see him for who he is, all things will be made clear to us. That, that's, they're able to worship because they're seeing part of that now. It's 
I love it. It's, it's fascinating to me. But when I think about that, I should, that should be the desire of my heart to, to bring these things that, that are in my life to glorify him. Whether I eat or drink or whatever I do, I should do it to the glory of God. Whatever I do in word or deed, as it says in Colossians, I must do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when it comes to blessed obedience, humble service, being equipped to do the things that God has called us to do, I, I, I really like what Jesus says in just the next couple of chapters in uh, chapter 15. He says this. This is a, another promise of God uh, as we walk in obedience to him. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. It'll be done for you. Ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. Now, this verse has been perverted all over the place by the word of faith movement. And we are told this is your license to get whatever you want from God. Clearly, that's not what this verse is telling us. Right. Anything that God gives us is a gift from him that draws us closer to him. Right. His, his word tells us all things work together for our good, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So anything that God gives us is something that's drawing us closer to him. So we know that's not the case. What this actually is, is a promise from God for the provisions that we need in this life. Whatever we need to accomplish the task that he set before us, he will give us those things as we are walking in um, walking by the spirit, we won't gratify the desires of the flesh. And we are going to, we're going to call upon his name whenever we need the words to speak, to defend the hope that's within us, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. These things are going to come out of us. They're going to flow like living waters and we're not going to really understand where they're coming from. That, that's what God has promised to us. Right? I, I don't know if you've ever experienced that. That's what evangelism is all about. You go out scared, nervous, anxious, and you trust God that he's going to give you the words to speak. That's all that it is. It, it's, it has nothing to do with me. God, you have caught, commanded this of me, so I'm asking you to strengthen me through this time. And he does it every single time, every time. It, 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 you can count on him, right? May not count, be able to count on me. May not be able to count on Pastor Ricky or your, your spouse, or your kids, or your parents. God is always faithful. God is always faithful. Here's another promise from God's word concerning this provision that God gives us. Second Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Right, so as I walk this life, as I walk in obedience to the commands that God has given, I can trust him. No matter what life brings me, Christ Jesus is my all in all. And I am living a supremely blessed life by knowing God and being known by him. Therefore, since this is true, right, therefore, I must do what he has commanded of me. Right. Get the gospel. You get the indicatives of who you are in Christ and then you get the commands. Right. We go from knowing who we are in Christ, how he strengthened us to do them. Then we get sent out the door to do the work that he's calling us to do. Right. That, that's that's the natural progression of what this is. We must do what God has commanded us to do. We must obey his commands. Now, we may think, like I said already, when we hear rules and and submit and all these things. The natural tendency is to kind of shy away from it. But we must remember this is not what saves us. Us doing these things don't save us. 
These are not, this is not legalistic, right? We, we, that word gets thrown around poorly in our culture today for the sake of being okay in sin or being lazy in your walk before the Lord. But the thing is, if what, what I am saying right now to distinguish this from, from legalism is we are not saying do these things and be saved. Or we're not saying do these things and you'll remain saved, right? This is not about maintaining salvation. It's not about attaining salvation. This is the natural working of salvation out in your life. Now, as Protestants, we reject the teachings of faith plus works, right? What we say is it's, it's Christ alone, it's faith alone, it's by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone that we are saved, right? That's, that's what justifies us before God. It, it was Christ's righteousness that's been imputed to us. It's been granted to us by God, by his mercy, and our faith in him alone is what justifies us. But after justification, after we are saved, after we've been born again, there's the life of growing in godliness. That's that sanctification. That's what we're talking about. These are distinct categories that the Bible makes. Therefore, we make these distinctions as well. So what that means is a faith that saves is a faith that isn't alone. right? It's, it's saving faith is a living faith. It desires to please God. So faith leads to obedience, but a lack of faith or a slip in faith, an ignorance in a particular part of your life, that lack, lacking faith in those areas lead to disobedience, right? The more faithful we are trusting God and what he's commanded of us to do, the more obedient we can become, where we lack trust in what God has said. Well, I know you say this in your word, but as we do those things, that's a lack of faith and that leads disobedience but going back to the legalistic the this understanding of how we achieve salvation and all of that the the distinction that we make as Christians holding true to what the Bible says is not that humble obedience will lead to salvation but that salvation leads to humble obedience it is a living faith that yearns to please God by knowing him more, and by walking in his ways. It's just like Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments, right? He's not telling them, obey my commandments so you can love me. He's saying, if you love me, this is what's going to happen for you in your life. Your love is going to prove itself. And that leads us to our last point, right? When we discuss this living faith, walking in this, the blessed obedience it leads to, a, it, it's, it's evidenced by our lives. So let's look at verses uh, 18 through 20. We're going to speak specifically of verses 19 and, or 18 and 19, and then we'll get into 20 in a little bit. It says this, I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. Excuse me. Now, verses 18 and 19 are somewhat of a reiteration of what we saw in verses 10 and 11 last week. It's as if Jesus is saying, not all of you are clean. And when I speak of this blessed obedience, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know who I have chosen. If we think about that, Jesus 
hand-selected all of his disciples. All of them, they weren't, they didn't win a raffle or a lottery. It wasn't like he was just like, uh, who looks, I'll take you and you. Jesus hand-selected his disciples, his apostles. There was 11 that he selected to pass the good news, to make disciples of all nations, to continue to bring forth his message. But it was one that he selected for, for destruction, one for his betrayal. Right, that, that gospel message couldn't go out unless he died. He had to die for our sins. So he had to have one who did that. So he had the 11 that were going to send the message, the one that was the betrayer from the beginning. Now that's hard for us to, to hear sometimes. It's a, it's a tough pill to swallow. It's not something that we should take joy in, that someone was hand-selected for destruction. They, they're... Judas willfully did everything that he did, right? He, his heart was hardened towards God. That's why he betrayed him in the first place. But that doesn't make it easy to, to hear that about him. But Jesus in this passage quotes from Psalm 41, verse 9, and says that this is the prophetic fulfillment of that verse in, in, Jesus, in Judas betraying Jesus. That's what he speaks of when he mentions the, uh, the bread or the heel being lifted against him. The person who ate his bread is the one who lifted his heel against him. It's kind of, it's, it's pretty amazing seeing the connections from the Old to New Testament. Uh, they have some graphs that show all the references and, and all of that, and it's fantastic to see something like that. But this is one example of that. Hundreds of years before Jesus, King David pins these words in Psalm 41, and then hundreds of years later, they find their fulfillment in the son of David, Jesus Christ. I, I think that's awesome. I, I don't know, I like those kind of things. That it's uh, it's it's to see the 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 connectivity, the co the cohesiveness of Scripture, is something that really uh, ministers to me. Now, something that Jesus does here, as he's warning them, like, "Hey, I'm telling you this because this is going to happen." Jesus has given us yet another example of his care and concern for his people. He's warning them, like, "Hey, this is what's going to happen, and this is why." And I, as I thought about that, it, it brought to mind the way that we are with each other today. Uh, we should be intentional in each other's lives. We should, when we bring stuff to someone, if we say, hey, how are you doing? Or uh, what can I pray for you about? There should be some real deep connections being made. There should be some care and concern like Jesus had for his people. When he was leaving, he was sending them a comforter. Uh, he's given them all these things that would be brought back to their remembrance. Uh, there is a... a very tight-knit, intimate love that's shared between Jesus and his disciples. And we are to mimic that. We are to love one another as he has loved us. And so we can't do that if, as we come to church on Sunday, we put on a church face and we're just, hey, how are you? And God bless you. And, and that's, that's it. it, it it's got to be more than that. It's got to be, hey, how are you doing? You know, what can I pray for you about? Let's go to lunch, whatever. It, it's, it's intentional living and questioning and interrogating it could even look like that but it's it's just us digging deeper in a desire to be known by each other better and to be able to serve one another I'll give you an example from my life right uh just just I'll just say this just the other day um you know I had this this uh weight on me this burden right that I was carrying around and it was wasn't for me to carry but you know that's the way we are right we like to keep stuff on us and, and just grin it and bear it, right? We just, you know, we want to be tough and bad. I can do this, and that's kind of the way that we are. 
Um, but when you have dear brothers and sisters in Christ, they see that, right? They, they see that and they're like, hey, like, are you okay? Like, talk to me, tell me, tell me what's wrong. Then it's like, okay, uh, let me set this out here, you know, like, let me, let me share this with you. Then you're prayed for, right? You're ministered to, you, you feel Christ's love for you in that moment. You're able to be served, not only served, but to be served. It's a beautiful thing, right? So I, I don't say that to say like, hey, I've, I've got it all figured out and I've been doing it right this week. No, like the words that, that God spoke to me were for me first and then I'm just sharing it back to you. As I've heard uh, said by great theologians in the past, like I'm just one beggar pointing to other beggars telling where they, where they can find bread. <laughs> Anyways, that's uh, so like, yeah, that, that's, that's it, man. That's, that's all. That's all that we are. We're just beggars, right? That's it. And so we are able to serve each other in that way. And it's, there's, there's nothing like it to have that weight lifted off of you. It's, it's, there, there's nothing like it, you know? Um, so it, it's a blessing to, to be able to, you know, I'm putting my sermon together and then like, I'm, you know, I got to figure out what to say, how to say, what's going to be the greatest impact. And it's like, get out of here with all that. You know, let me speak to my people, you know, and yeah, God's always faithful. That's the thing. He's always faithful. So I, I don't, why week in and week out I put that pressure on myself, I'll never know. But it is what it is, right? This is confession time, apparently. Um, but yeah, like I said, I'm just as guilty of this. I'm just as guilty of it myself. Um, it's, it's easy to do. It's easy to fall into. But we are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That, that's what we're called to do. We're to love one another as Christ has loved us. Um, it, it's... There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. So with that in mind, in verse 20, as we uh, finish our time out, I was reading verse 20, meditating upon it, trying to find application for it. Where, how can I finish this sermon out to kind of really round out this, this sermon and then also use God's word to do so? And as I was doing that, I, I ran across Matthew 25. That, that was a passage that came to mind. Uh, verses 31 through 40. You can turn there if you will. I'll give you a minute to turn there. I got to turn there. Um, but as I was thinking about the things that God has done, how Christians are serving one another, and this is just a natural outworking of a changed heart, this passage really, really ministered to me. So I, I pray that it does the same for you. But in Matthew 25, verses 31 through 40, we get this, um, this parable. It's a prophecy of, of the final judgment, but it's, it's essentially a parable that Jesus is giving us. And it says this, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to see me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when do we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king 
will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. That is a, it can be a very weighty passage to read or a very encouraging passage to read. If you are one who desires to earn your salvation, this is, this is heavy for you. If you understand what Christ has done for you, what he's doing through you, this is a very encouraging passage. Now, the, the immediate context of this, this is the final judgment. There's persecution. The body is being, being bruised, right? There's persecution. So Jesus is specifically speaking about the body helping the body of Christ. That's what this is talking about, right? So what that tells us is, there's priority. We take care of home first, right? Immediate family, church family, then the world. We prioritize the way that we serve in that fashion. Humble, sacrificial, obedient service to the body of Christ. That's, that's how we are to operate. That is, that is the calling for Christians. But what I really, what really just like, just wrecked me was the response that the righteous had to the king in these verses, in verses 37 through 39. They said, when do we feed you? When do we give you drink? When do we welcome you? When do we clothe you? When do we visit you? When do we do any of these things? These are, these are the Christians, right? The broken Christians who are being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. This is them speaking in this time, right? From the day one Christian to the year 100 Christian. That, that's the, the, the total, totality of the body of Christ. That's, that's the response of Christians. When, when do we do these things for you? The thing that, that comes to mind when I read this is the fact that these people were not scorekeeping. There was no boxes they were checking off. I'm doing this today. I've done that. Did you see what I did yesterday? Oh, I've been praying. I've been reading my Bible. I gave tithes from mint and cumin and all these things. I've been doing everything that I'm supposed to be doing. That was not the response of these people. They were too busy serving and being faithful to the Lord. They were too busy offering their life as a living sacrifice to God as their spiritual form of worship. They were too busy with that. They had no time to keep track of what they were doing. They were running the, way, the race and they were not focused on the other runners. They were focused on the finish line. Now, a lot of us today, as I mentioned earlier, we tend to have this feeling that we have with obedience and rules and different things. Um, and whenever we're disobedient, because of a lack of faith in our lives, we tend to look at other Christians and say, well, this guy's doing more than I am, or this person is holier than me. I'll never get there. I'll never get there. Right? I'm, you know, I'm, I've got this, this baggage that I'm carrying along with me. Right? Or I got that baggage that I'm carrying along with me. I'll never be like you or you or whatever. That, that, that's, that's the condemnation we heap upon ourselves when we're focusing on everyone else except Christ. Paul tells us, press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We don't, he didn't say press into looking at others and how they're fulfilling the law or how they're doing things for Christ. Yeah, it's true, as Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Absolutely. 
You know, there's, there, we can glean lots of wisdom from each other, but they are not the standard upon which we base our sanctification. That's not how this life works. God has them exactly where he has them. Romans 12, 3 tells us that each of us has been granted a measure of faith. And that's been done so we don't look to each other. God is the giver of those gifts. You want those gifts, you ask him for them. That's why you don't have it. You have it because you have not because you ask not. Church, we are to repent, believe the gospel, serve one another out of reverence for Christ. That's what we have been called to. We are only able to do that when we focus our attention on him, when we obey the things that he's commanded us to do, even if we do them in a frail, broken way. If, if our desire is to please God, to obey him out of reverence for him, God is going to take care of the rest. It, Pastor and myself will tell you every single time, this, this is not the best performance that you'll ever get from a pulpit. It, you'll never see it here at this church. Um, but we're faithful. That, that's, that's all God's called me to. That, that's all he's told. It. Be faithful with what I've given you, and I'll take care of the rest. So when God's given you, be faithful. Let him take care of the rest. That's why it's blessed obedience, not a scale of, well, are you being this obedient or that obedient? No, be faithful, be obedient. If you said to do it, do it. Trust him with the results, whatever, whatever may come. That's what we are called to. Blessed are you when you know these things and do them. Let's pray.